0: Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you guys. It is so good to be back. And yet, I leave such a piece of my heart there, right? I I can't wait. I mean, since I was a kid, the world has become a smaller place. With the invention of the airplane and, you know, all that stuff. No, it really has. It's become a smaller place, even literally since my kids were born just in this idea of technology you know the internet and and yet it doesn't replace being there oh my goodness when we this last trip we went to uh, one of the IDP camps and that for those who don't know especially online That's the internationally displaced people. Those are the people that were run out of their villages, out of their homes, and were put in these camps literally so they would have a place to sleep. And I remember when we first went there years ago was after so many had been run over. And they had literally nothing. I mean, they didn't have water. I mean, water was being trucked in for in one camp that's supposed to hold about 5,000 people and you have 35 to 40,000 people if you can imagine. And they're trucking in water which doesn't isn't near enough and all this and and they're the tents that they lived in were wherever they could find these sticks to kind of tie together and then they would find sheets of plastic on the road and just kind of put them on there and somehow fasten them. That's, that's how it was. Now, since then, much has been done there. I mean, nothing like what, what we have, not even close, nothing like even what they have in Nigeria, but, but something has been done. They have more stable structures. They have wells. They have all these things. And this last trip... We went there. One of the things that we did, because this trip was a trip we've been working on for two years, it was a combination trip with the Freedom Coalition, and I I, I know I'm not saying that right. Uh, Religious Freedom Freedom Coalition, thank you. I know him as Bill and Nancy. (laughs) They're dear friends of ours, and and for two years we've been trying to get their ministry, Bill and Nancy specifically, to come down to McCurdy. and, And they've been trying to do the same, and Satan has just gotten in the way every time. And this trip, that finally happened. Because one of the things we were doing was dedicating a building that they had built on the IDP camp, on this particular IDP camp, and it was a school building. And so we went there, and and uh, they had I don't know if all the kids were there, although it had to be pretty close. I, I know they have about 1,500 kids on on that in that camp, and the school that was built was enough for 120. Uh, if if you can do the math, you know the need there. But um, but we went there to dedicate this building and and the work that that Bill and Nancy had done and, and all of their partners. And it was just, it was incredible. But was, what was such a joy, such an amazing thing, is when you walk into the sea of kids that are, it's a little different in Nigeria than it is here. Like the, the children there, and we've noticed this everywhere we go, They're, they're, they're very, I'm going to say respectful, um, because I don't want to say fearful, although it might be a little bit of both, where they they don't approach you unless they know it's okay to approach you. Oh my goodness. But if you let them know it's okay, be prepared. (laughs) Be prepared to be engulfed by this sea of children, and, and that's, that's what we did. Alexis was the first. She's always the first. You know, we're, we're trying to get her to engage in whatever we're doing that's probably frivolous, and, and she's over engulfed in these sea of kids, and, and it was really cool. We got this on video. I have to share it with you. She walks up to, and they, they have, they're very, very strict there with, with these kids. So these kids aren't moving, man. And they're all just kind of lined up in this half a half a horseshoe, you know. Uh, and she walks up, and she just starts talking to them. And, and they're all the way from probably, you know, two or three years old up to, you know, probably, you know, uh, 10, 11, 12, something like that. In this group, she walks up to this group and she asks them, Is there anyone that can sing me a song? Now you have to understand, many of them, if not most of them, don't speak English. That's one of the things that is taught in the school. Even though they speak English in, in the cities, in McCurdy, they don't tend to speak English in the villages, which is where the, most of these kids are from. But she's saying this, and, and she's kind of motioning, and I, I think they understood. And, and they were absolutely terrified to answer her. <laughs> Just like when we were in a school the day before of all these school kids. They were terrified to answer, and, and there's this one little kid. This one little kid down front. He couldn't have been more than two feet tall. Literally. I, I don't even know how old that is. Would you say he was three or four? Three years old, something like that? This one little kid kind of half raises his hand. And so she goes down to her knee right in front of him. And and even on her knee, you know, she's almost twice his height. And she starts talking to him and and she says, okay, what, what song do you want to sing to me? And this little kid who has nothing, less than nothing, he starts singing Jesus Loves Me. I don't know about you, but that just grabs my heart. Because to say they have nothing doesn't describe their life. They come from a life of violence. That's why they're there. They come from a life of having nothing. That's why they're there. They come from a life of most having no hope having only what comes from those who would volunteer to be there. And I'm not saying we're the only ones that do that, or churches. There are Nigerians that are there that that volunteer to be teachers, that volunteer. We met one of them who you could tell his heart for God right away. But this little kid could ask anything. But he just sang, Jesus loves me. And Alex started singing with him. And then all the other kids started singing with him. And these are the moments of two cultures breaking through to each other. These are the moments of God's love literally crushing the enemy. So when, when I say that I'm so glad to be back here and I miss you guys so much and yet there's such a part of my heart that is there, that's what I mean. We have
1: the video ready if you want
0: to show it. Oh, the boy. that would be great. Can you show that? Not ready. Okay, not ready yet. <laughs> well, thank you for that good coordination there. Uh, but thank you, thank you for that. We do have a video of that. I didn't even think think about, Chris. I had no idea I was going to talk about this, but but we'll play the video in a second. But this trip, it meant so much in the spirit. It meant so much in the line drawn to the enemy, and literally pushing him away from the line. You know, in taking land. It's not that there's a set boundary. When when Joshua crossed over the Jordan and stood before Jericho, that's where the line was, right? It was beyond Jericho. Now they were able to take Jericho. Didn't mean that line stayed there. That line then moved to Ai after Jericho. Well, it's the same with us. God has called us to establish a base. They're in Nigeria, just like he will do in seven places in the world. But it is not just to take that base and hold that base. It's from that base to take land. To take authority. And I don't mean land like, like well, we're going to take land and kick everybody off the land. <laughs> I am talking in the spirit. Because right now the land is ruled By the ruler of this earth. It's not supposed to be. Adam gave that away a long time ago. But Jesus already paid. For it to be returned. When he. Gave his life on the cross. Gave his precious blood. Ascended from the cross. From death. Ascended to life. Being the first of the resurrection. He paid for everything. But it's kind of like. He paid for it, but he didn't receive delivery of it. Kinda weird, isn't it? You know, that's what confused the apostles, or at that point, the disciples. That's what confused them. That's are we ready? Before I really start going into a different direction. (laughs) All right. This is that little kid. Go ahead. That may seem simple, but that was a big thing. That was huge. It was huge, certainly in the human realm right there, but it was huge in what I'm talking about now, and that is in the Spirit. That is literally moving that line away from where it is now. Taking ground. You know, as I was saying before, the Lord has... Called us to seven places to build a base. To expand out from that base. I kind of think of it in military terms as a hub. It's kind of like in D-Day, when we advanced on Normandy, what was the purpose of that? To take France? Well, ultimately, yes. But that's not that's not the purpose of that day. The purpose of that day was to gain a beach hold. To gain a place that you can then have all of your recruits, all of your equipment, all of your supplies come in safely to literally advance and take land. That's what these bases are. That's what Nigeria is in the compound of McCurdy. Where we are. That is a base. And in the spirit realm, that is a base that is to be a hardened Base. It's a base where the enemy cannot penetrate. By the way, another base is right here in Newark. So technically, we have two bases. But there are five others that he will call us to. When those bases are ready, when they're hardened, when they are ready in the spirit and impenetrable, then you are able to move forward in taking that land. That's where we're at with Nigeria. God said that things will happen in Nigeria first. That's what he told us years ago. Now, man, you can you can take that and you can apply that to just about everything. You know, because I kept thinking, okay, well, this has happened, Lord, so... So then let it happen here. And then we wait. We wait for things to manifest. So I'm not interpreting for you what that means when it says it will happen first. I'm just going to tell you now historically what is happening and has happened. Because God is doing an amazing work in Nigeria in a very short period of time. You have to understand, I've been going there now for five and a half years. But it is not until about the last eight months that things have really exploded in the physical. You understand what I'm saying? Because battles are fought in the spirit first. Those battles have been fought for the last five and a half years. Establishing a beachhead right there in Wadada, in McCurdy, in Benway, in Nigeria. Establishing that beachhead that then can be expanded out. Oh my goodness, what he has done in the last eight months. I I wish that I could take all of you there to see it with your own eyes, and some of you have. But I wish you could experience it. I wish you could see it and know. Because you would be encouraged, just like me, that what God is doing there is extraordinary and that has everything to do with what he's doing here. I've got to tell you, and this may be a controversial thing, but it's a bigger fight here than it is Nigeria. may not seem that because... Well, we have all these niceties here in the U.S. And we have nice homes. Our homeless live nicer than most of them there. So so it's really not the same battle. See, I would differ with that because I think it's just the opposite. Because of those things that have not been stewarded well in the spirit, it is a fight here. It's a huge fight here. Not only because of that, but because literally the U.S. leads the world in influence. So that makes it another large fight. So the fight here is incredible. But we've been fighting that fight for a long time. And the Lord said, things will begin in Nigeria first. What I believe part of that to mean is breakthrough. The manifestation of breakthrough. What is breaking through in Nigeria is, (laughs) oh my goodness, I, I grew up a kid who had many missionaries in the family. I've been around missionaries my whole life. Heard all their stories, all their joys, all the cultural differences, and all this. And I've done missions for probably the last 12 years. So, I mean, I have my own stories. I meet a lot of missionaries. I meet a lot of pastors, a lot of missions-minded people like Bill and Nancy. And I always try to gain from their perspective what what they see God doing with ignition. And Bill did just that. And I want to tell you what is being built there by God, not by us. We're, we're simply stewarding what he is doing. But what God is building there is out of the ordinary. Do you understand that it is unheard of, unheard of, what God is doing In less than a year, okay, from from when the growth began there, really last May and June, within a year of that, our ministry there will be self-sustained. What? That doesn't even make sense. How is that even possible? I don't know. (laughs) But God is doing it. He's exploding it there in relationships. He's exploding it there in exposure. And he's exploding it there in, in our availability to have influence, to talk, to share Jesus Christ. He's exploding it there. And you know what? It's right around the corner for here. It's right around the corner. You know, one of the toughest things is when I talk to people that like to send me nice emails. There was one I got yesterday from a pastor out of California. <laughs> I won't even talk about it, but. The lack of faith that the bride has. And yet claim to be his bride. is shameful. It's shameful. They have no right. They are digging a hole for themselves. And if you're listening, I appreciate the email. I really do. I haven't responded yet, but I will. It will be with the hope. That you and others in the bride will see truth. Uh, I don't mean to get derailed by that, but the fact of the matter is, it is coming here. The fight has been more intense here, but we're on the beach. Right? We're on the beach. We've made the assault doesn't mean we're not under fire. We are. But we've made the assault. We've established ourselves, our feet on the beach. And we're building a perimeter in the spirit. That's what's being done. Victory is being had and made here. It will manifest. And I get it. Because faith is a tough thing. Faith is a really, really hard thing. I, I, I get it 100%. Because when you're moving through these times and you know what the Lord has said to you, you know where he's led you, and then every step that you take in the physical is opposite of that, it messes with your head. Right? And I am speaking to this group here. I'm speaking to you because it messes with my head. Don't think it's easy for anybody to believe. Belief is an exercise of effort. It's an exercise of giving God your yes, recognizing why you gave God your yes in the first place, recognizing truth and not diverting from that truth. That's hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to do in in the face of, of people that seemingly know God, but yet say how it's impossible. See, we are in a different time now. By the way, you can prove that by the Word of God. You know, in that step of faith, God doesn't just leave you hanging. He doesn't just say, believe me, see you in two years. No, all along the way, when you give your yes for the first time, and you step out in that, I'm going to promise you one thing. He'll test that yes. And this I am saying to people online, those who, who maybe have never given their yes to him, when you give your yes, your yes will be tested. Has to be. It has to be. But then through that test, start to come confirmations. First and foremost, before that yes, the Lord should have already given you confirmation in His Word. When you go to His Word, He will prove out everything in His Word. Because His character is consistent. If he says something to you, like he says, Jeff, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, I can't go to Hebrews chapter 5 and see Jeff, blah, 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 blah. Right? But what I can do is I can understand his character because his character is laid out in 66 books written by over 40 authors that had sustained the test of time That has proven itself to be true. It literally, you know, the Bible literally proves itself. Now, if you go and you try to gain that confirmation from an intellectual standpoint, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Because that is in your own strength. That's why the Bible says when you study the Word of God, it said, Invite the Holy Spirit to come and teach. Why? Because it is the Holy Spirit who reveals the heart of God, who reveals the layers of meaning in Scripture. I find that interesting because that is how things have been able to be hidden from people for millennia. Why didn't the Pharisees know the exact moment of the coming of the Messiah? They should have, because Daniel laid it out to the day. Do you know that? To the very day. Daniel prophesied it hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. To the very day, they should have known. They should have. So why didn't they? Because when you consume the word of God from an intellectual mind, a mind literally of control. What do I mean by that? It means you are controlling the thoughts. That's the opposite of faith, by the way. Faith is giving control to God. Or faith in God is giving control to God. You get a faith in anything. Whatever you're having faith in, you are offering the control to them. But faith is the opposite. You cannot achieve, if you want to, maybe that's a bad word, but you cannot get to the point of faith intellectually. You can't. And those who pride themselves on being intellectual in the Word of God, pride themselves in understanding the details and the nuances of the Hebrew and the Greek, which is all good, by the way. But when they pride themselves in that, and understanding on a surface level what is going on, they miss everything. They miss the whole point. They miss the mystery. That Paul just was begging people to understand. Yeah, In fact, let, let's turn. Let's turn there. Let's go to Ephesians. I've been in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians a lot lately. Uh, in the Hebrews. In Revelation. In Exodus. God is amazing. I want to go in chapter 1. Uh, let's see, where do we want to start? Let's just just start at verse 7. We'll get down to where I want to be here. Verse 7, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Which, by the way, if you want to know who you are in Christ, dig into Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. Dig in. It tells you who you are in Christ. It tells you how important you are to Him. So again, let's go back uh, verse nine, or wait, verse seven and a half, according to his riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And here, verse nine, making known to us the mystery of His will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. What is the mystery of his will? Oh, well, the mystery is that, that the Son of God came to earth and became a man, and, and he lived on this earth sinless and, and gave his life for us. And death couldn't hold him, so he was raised from the dead and he sits at the right hand of Father. That was the mystery. It was the mystery that fooled Satan and his minions. The end. Dot dot dot. Yeah, if if that's what you believe the mystery is, you got it half right. But I don't know, in, in my book, half right fifty percent is failing. Right? You're not passing until, what, I think it's 70%? Or no, that's a C. 60 is a B. 60? That's a B. Okay, see, my kids, I, I, nothing, nothing, nothing <laughs> less than an A. Wow. No, okay, I'll allow a B in certain cases. <laughs> Certainly not an F. If, if you believe that that was the entire mystery, you're missing Everything. You're missing literally what God is needing you to get. Needing you to understand why. Because you're to be a part of it. If you you don't understand, and you just sit back and wait for God to do something, guess what's going to happen? Well, nothing. And then you're going to die, and then you're going to realize, oh, man, I really missed an opportunity. What a waste doesn't mean you don't go to heaven. Of course you do. But God is recruiting you for something special now. That he is doing all over the world. Doing with those whose hearts say yes and really mean it. Who walk in that yes. Who walk in that faith. Who offer faith without wavering. And he explains it here. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Let's let's figure out this this phrase, fullness of time. What's what's that phrase mean? I want you to go to Galatians. It's used twice in the Word of God. Galatians chapter 4. Okay, and I'm just going to begin at verse 1 here. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. And and, and what what Paul is is referring to here is a child who who has an inheritance is still effectively a slave as a child because they have to do what the father says, right? Not that you need background, but that's what's going on here up to chapter 4. Um, Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So until his father recognizes that he can handle the responsibility and sets a date for it, this child is under managers, under guardians. Verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, there's that phrase. God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Which was everybody, by the way. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Boom. There goes that mystery. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit Of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I want you to recognize in verse 4 that phrase, fullness of time. What was the fullness of time? We're not waiting for it, guys. We're not waiting for the fullness of time. It already came. It just said when the fullness of time was. The fullness of time happened when Jesus came and became a man, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the grave. That was the fullness of time. That was the mystery. Or at least the first half of it. Now Let's go back to Ephesians. And let's reread verse 9 making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. Okay, this idea of what Jesus did, not in just giving us the hope for life, not just giving us a golden ticket to heaven. Man, he could have done that. We could all be gone and not have to worry about any of this, not have to deal with any of this. But that's not it was. What it was. Verse 9 again, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, which was done then. That fullness of time was done. It was done. The full mystery was done. But then Paul goes to reveal the second half of the mystery here. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. In who? In Jesus Christ. Things in heaven? Okay, if it stopped there, then I would say, okay, all the intellectuals, I'm with you. Good job. Let's just wait to die and go to heaven. But it's that next phrase that screws that all up. And on earth a second. I thought it was just supposed to get so bad that Jesus felt sorry for me, came and raptured me and then kicked everybody else's butt. That's what I thought. Till he opened my eyes. till I stopped looking through an intellectual lens and understood this mystery that only can be seen by the Holy Spirit through the Spirit of God. Sorry if I'm spitting on <laughs> front row is a dangerous row. It can only be seen through the power of the Holy Spirit. This unification of His children on earth was set aside 2,000 years ago. See, I would say to this point we have a failing grade. Because if truly waiting for us to be sad enough for him to come. He would have come many times by now. He would have come in the dark ages when they tried to get rid of the Word of God. He would have tried to come, he would have come in the Holocaust when his own children were being slaughtered. I mean, is it really supposed to get worse than that? So God will have that extra amount of feeling sorry for us? No. God isn't the one that's supposed to get this. He already knows it. It's his plan. It's his mystery. We're the ones that have to get it. We play a role in the fulfilling of this time. We do. Why? Because God called us his body. How much can be done... With a head and no body. Not much. I mean, you can speak. You know, you can convey feelings. You can't walk. You can't hug. You can't express in those ways. In many ways, the church has taken away the expression of Jesus Christ. Because we're so concerned intellectually with what we're supposed to do and how things line up. When faith is the only way to go down that road. It's the only way. And that's a hard road. Faith is never an easy road. Especially now. Especially with the lines being drawn in the sand. Faith is a hard road because people you have loved your entire life will turn around and say, You're a fool. You're whacked. You're leading people down wrong paths. I know they will because they have for me. You won't be any different. Nobody in the remnant will be any different. And then you're accused of all sorts of things. But that's okay. That's where your faith needs to be rooted and grounded in him. It can't be rooted and grounded in a church. It can't be rooted and grounded in me or in Alexis or in, in Ignition 633 in Nigeria. It can't be rooted and grounded in your job. Your faith cannot be rooted and grounded in any of those things. It has to be rooted and grounded in relationship with Jesus Christ, facilitated by the Holy Spirit, so He speaks with you. If you do not hear God's voice, you do not have a chance in the time in which we live. That's a hard statement, but it's truth. Now, the other side of that is there is none who are... His heirs, his children, who do not have the capability or capacity to hear God. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to each one of us. It's kind of like this, this speaker that's given to us. We can turn it on or turn it off. I don't want to hear that. I'll turn it off. I just want to hear it a little bit so I'll keep it low so I can walk away when I want to. What God's saying is take that speaker, turn it up all the way, and put your ear right up to it. Tie it to your head. <laughs> kind of like back in the 70s. Most of you wouldn't remember this, but I just always thought it was funny where where it, it was just the dumbest thing. People, it, they, they came out with these boom boxes for the first time, Right? And people put it on their shoulder and just walk down the road. And they said, man, they're going to go deaf in their right ear. You know you did that. You know you did that. (laughs) Alright, you're not allowed to be that close to the microphone anymore. But that's what we need to do. We need to take the Holy Spirit's voice who is speaking to us and duct tape it to our head. Don't worry about what people think. Worry about what God thinks. Worry about your relationship with Him and what He thinks because guess what? What people think when you're standing before the Lord, none of that's going to matter. It's only going to matter what you did with the Lord, what you stood and stepped in belief for and gave your faith in. And I'm not saying you have to be a blind believer. Oh my goodness, He gave us so much in His Word. Confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. But you have to look at it in faith. Through a lens of faith. Not a lens of intellectual. Because I'll tell you what happens. And I can say this because literally the mentor I had for 30 years. I won't say who he was. And it wasn't my father. But the mentor I had for 30 years. Said something that would have. Locked everything up for me. And, and by the way, he's, I mean, he's no longer with us, but he's phenomenal. Phenomenal teacher. The, the base of, of what I grew up as was rooted in what he taught in, in the Word of God. But he said in the Old Testament, you cannot use the examples of Israel and apply it to the bride. And that's a very popular belief, by the way. Probably more popular than anything. I would, I would dare say probably many here believed that, as I did. But it's not true. Because what would even be the point of the Lord giving us all of it, just as a cute little story? Why did he tell us about Gideon? Well, that's kind of a cool story. It's a cool story of faith. Yes, we're just supposed to extract from that faith. And there's an example of faith, and we can have faith, and we all have faith in Kumbaya. It's really (laughs) awesome. Yeah, well, you know what? That's not so applicable when you're facing 132,000 or 133,000, however many there were of the enemy. And you're surrounded And you're saying, Lord, how am I going to make it through this? Now, all of a sudden, that story means something. Because when he said, you're facing this, but I'm not calling you to be on defense. I'm calling you to be on offense. It's like, okay, well, you know, we have a handful of people here against thousands oh, wait, well, that kind of worked for Gideon. Yes, we can apply those to us. Yes, God gives us examples in the entire Word of God, not just the New Testament, the entire Word of God that we are to glean from. Why do you think the bride was not mentioned in the Old Testament? Because it was a mystery. God could keep a secret. When Paul reveals this mystery, it was for the purpose of it, not the fact that it wasn't there, but the fact that it was there, and the enemy was too stupid to see it. That's the truth of it. The mystery is there. Paul reveals it. And this is where we're to be. So the second half of that mystery has yet to be fulfilled, and that is to unite things in Him, in Jesus Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, literally bringing His kingdom that He already brought here, bringing it manifest to this earth. So let's let's go further down. You know, Paul talks about for that reason. I pray for you guys every day, and and he's talking to the church at Ephesus. But let, let's go to verse seventeen. And these are this is what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Let me point this out again. Paul didn't just say that, that God give you the ability intellectually to understand the details and the arguments. It's not what he said. He said, I pray. That the God in heaven gives you the Spirit, Holy Spirit, of wisdom, of knowledge. So you can look and you can see the truth of everything going on. Says here, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Wow, if that isn't the stark difference between intellectual agreement. And agreement by faith. Intellectual agreement is that I agree because I see it, it makes sense. That's where most of the bride is now, and forget the world. The world's so so confused and lost they don't know their right hand from their left. The bride, they should know better because they have the Holy Spirit. They have literally the one that gives that wisdom and that knowledge. But he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, faith comes from your heart. If you need to believe intellectually, fight that fight. Because when you believe with your heart, things that don't make sense, like Gideon. Wait a second, you you brought us down to 300 people. He believed in his heart. He knew in his heart that that's what it was supposed to, that, that God did it. He had faith. It didn't stop him from moving against the Syrians. Now, God gave him a plan. And also, he was nervous. He was scared even. God, I, 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 I need this, this fleece okay, well, that was really awesome, but you know, I can see how intellectually that could happen on that side. God, how about we do another one and flip it over and do it the opposite? Okay, well, that worked too. And God was patient. God's patient with us. He gives patience. He, when, when we're building faith, he doesn't just say, get it. No, you didn't get it. Okay, go to the next one. Get it. No, okay, get it. He, he doesn't do that. This one gave me their yes. Okay, trust me. Okay, you're scared scared it's okay? Here, let me show you this. That's what he did with Gideon. And then Gideon, it it was kind of like Gideon ran out of excuses. You know, okay, all right, I'm going, I'm going. You do it. And it was beautiful. Not a single shot. I mean, from Israel. (laughs) Syrians pretty much kind of killed themselves, but that's what God does. He does the incredible. When we step out in faith and we, say, we give him our yes, he tests our yes, we stay in our yes, we believe, he then begins to show us things that are confirmations. Man, alive. I, I've had so many conversations of people that, and, and you know, oh, you're listening to a demonic spirit, and you're this and that and everything else. Man, if you could jump into my body and my understanding For even a little bit of the last 10 years, you would understand that he confirms everything. By his grace, he confirms it along the way. Man, none of us are good enough to make this stuff up. I mean, if we were creative enough to make this stuff up, we we should be making movies or something. We're not. I'm not. But I am with faith enough to believe and to walk in that belief, no matter what stones are hit. Now, now the beauty of this is not everybody will have to do that. We're called to something unique, and others in the remnant are as well. When you're called to be a plower, that means that you're breaking ground that's never been broken. When I was talking to the Lord during worship, he gave me an illustration of that. And being a builder, I, I think you all understand this, but if you go to dig a well, okay, and not a well. I mean, we call them wells here. They call them boreholes there. I'm talking about when you're going down into the water table, not just you're digging down 15 feet. I'm, I'm talking, you know, like our well here is 175 feet. And I think the last one we did in Nigeria was 600-something feet. I mean, just insane. Can you imagine that poor drill head getting down three, 400 feet? It's like, seriously? Come on! How much farther do we have to go? You can imagine starting to say, well, maybe that water really isn't down there. Because... I mean, 600 feet is an awfully long way to have to go for water. Wait a second. How can you even tell from heaven, two sticks or however they do it, or some electronic machine, how can you even tell there's water 600 feet down? I don't believe any of that. Then you start to walk away from literally what you believed by faith. Now, the opposite is true in confirming that faith. That drill bit keeps going down steady, 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 steady till it hits breakthrough. When it hits breakthrough, the junk that it's chewing up is gone. And what happens? Well, now you have this beautiful cylinder hole that allows you to put pipe down and access water from 600 feet in the ground. That's insane. Jacob would have been proud. <laughs> of Jacob's well. Right? But think of ourselves as that drill bit. When you're drilling through that rock that at times gets so hard that you don't know if you could even get through it. And all of a sudden they have to change out the drill bit because it's going through this hard piece of stone that we got to get through. It's in the way we got to get through it to get to the water. Don't be that one who says this is too tough because it's too tough must mean that it's not of God. God would never have it be this tough if he wanted me to do this. Man, open just about any page in the Bible and that'll prove that to be false. No, i got to tell you, I, I've learned to look at it the other way. I, I've, I've learned, when, when you get in tuned in the spirit, you start to recognize the things that Satan fights hard against. And when you recognize that, Recognize that there's a reason. There's a reason why Satan is fighting so hard against something. It's not God. Because God is compassionate and he is our father. Jesus, the scripture says, is our brother, our joint heir. It's to his desire for us not to fail or fall away. But yet, he won't compromise. He won't compromise himself. He won't compromise the blood that he shed on the cross because his blood paid for everything already. He won't compromise for something that he's already paid for. And that is the unity of his children. I'm just going to finish it with this, but I want you this week to maybe go and spend some time on these things. I I won't I won't open them up right now. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. Okay, that word know there in the Greek is to be certain. To see it, literally, is what it means. Okay. How do you see something that is something of faith. Well, I'll let you guys wrestle with that. But that you may know, and Paul lists three things here. I want you this week to dive into them. The first, that you may know what the hope, what is the hope to which he has called you. To, to what Jesus has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And the last one, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believed? Okay, this is present tense, guys. This is not that you may know who he is, so when you stand before him one day, we all have this great time together that you know him finally. No, this refers back to earlier in chapter 1 when it says this In the fullness of time, this was paid for. The mystery was paid for. Both sides of it. Jesus coming, giving us freedom, and the unity of His body, of His bride together. That entire mystery was already paid for. And He's saying you need to know these three things in order to be a part of it. So it's important to dive into these, that you may know what is the hope to which you're called. Man, go go, dig up other scriptures. I won't do it right now. But dig up other scriptures as to what that hope is. Uh, I'll give you a hint. Start in Hebrews chapter 11. Because they all had the same hope. They had a hope in that city whose foundations was built by God. That is a... Here and now moment. That is for here and now. It's not for heaven. Jesus already said, heaven and earth. Uniting everything in him, heaven and earth. And by by the way, if you're waiting for Jesus to do all this, God already said he's up there and he's to wait until his enemies are his footstool. So if you're waiting for things to get so bad that he's just going to come back and, you know, Calgon, take me away from all this. (laughs) It's not going to happen. Because he's literally waiting on you. He's encouraging you. Be my body. Be the members in which you're supposed to be to fulfill my will. Because his plan is to unite all things in him. Literally taking land, literally pushing away the enemy, literally containing the enemy and making them his footstool. See, when Jesus comes this next time, and I don't mean the rapture, I mean, when he comes to this earth and takes the throne of David, it's not going to be much of a fight. It's not going to be much of a battle. It won't take faith. We just get to watch. He'll take his kingdom. Because by the power of his word, nothing has the authority to stand against it. But see, there is a battle for his kingdom. The battle's now. The battle is what he is infusing in his remnant bride that pleases him, and that's faith. Faith and understanding that you hold the course of believing what the Lord has confirmed to you. Alexis, come on in.
1: Something I've noticed that is very interesting and and I was thinking about it so much as Greg was speaking and that is the difficulty of faith in, in a place of surrender when you're supposed to surrender your own will and ways and understanding and the the difficulty it is to just relinquish self becomes this battle that if you don't do it then it's like it turns into a really hard work to create a whole theology around why you resist believing what you're supposed to believe for. And I've noticed it's kind of like an unraveling. If you begin to, if you decide that you're not willing to believe for certain things and things you don't understand, if you, if you have to lean on your own understanding to believe something and you just won't free-fall believe, then you begin to kind of, uh, it, it's like it, the enemy is all too happy to help you to twist Scripture into um, almost undoing what you, what you did believe. I've noticed that in the bride it, it seems like there are fundamentals that are being strayed away from because of the hard work to try to fit Scripture into making sense of why they aren't seeing what the word says that they're supposed to see, and because they don't see it, they have to then now fit scripture to kind of reconcile why they're not seeing it, rather than just standing in faith and waiting. And it becomes really bizarre. I I, I know one of the big scriptures is, um, I think it's John fourteen sixteen is I think the verse about the greater works that Jesus said that we would do. And I'm noticing in the bride that that's becoming a a quali- a quantitative argument instead of a qualitative which to me on its face is clearly qualitative meaning that the works themselves Jesus said we would do more we would do greater there would be a greater, greater works that would be performed for all who believe but because we don't see miracles so often and readily around us that verse is seen through a quantitative lens which is that well, no, the, the works that are going to be greater are just because there will be more believers on the earth. And so, therefore, what Jesus did will just be done through sheer duplication of more people saved. And so it kind of levels out. And that's easier to stomach because it's like, well, that helps me to understand why we don't walk in these powerful miracles, even though we do walk in these miracles. Um, and so many miracles, like Greg said, man, last 10 years, if you could be in his head, it's the same for me. I have seen God confirm His word so many times to me. I see miracles everywhere I turn, and it's interesting that if you don't have a lens of faith to believe for a miracle, then just like the Pharisees, you're going to see a leper healed right in front of you, and you'll still miss it. You'll see. You'll see. I, I, I spoke with somebody not that long ago that that um, wanted to unravel uh, the resurrections in a particular well-known uh, ministry. And they said, well, yeah, but you just look at case after case. This person wasn't really dead, and this person, you know, wasn't dead long enough. I mean, there was just like, there's no actual evidence. You can not actual evidence yourself out of any miracle if you don't want to believe for it. And so it's interesting what faith does is it, is it, it either opens up the reality of the kingdom realm and the wonder of God, but without it... It can become a lens for you to not see even what's right in front of your face, plain as day. So this faith is a really important um, place to be And I was even reminded, and I I think maybe even Bryn mentioned it last week in her message, but it's a very uh, famous place in Scripture, in Jesus' ministry, where the people followed him after the feeding of the 5,000. And they came and they said, They said, Jesus, what work do you have for us to do? Well, we want to do these things too. What, What can we do? What can we work and do? And it was almost like he was getting them all motivated and excited and seeing his ministry walking in power. And they wanted to do works, too. And Jesus turns to him and says, the only work for you to do is to believe. Just believe. And it's interesting that there's a lot of people, a lot of believers, that are wanting to get on a bandwagon of action, to do something, to take a stand. And these are all wonderful things. Many, many works that believers can stand to do are very, very good. But without just standing in firm faith, without the ability to even follow that up with a work to do, is really first where God wants us. What he wants to do through us is on him. But he needs us to stand and believe. And it was just like the people in Jesus' day. What can we do to walk in what you walk in? And he's like, heart before horse. There's nothing to do. Start by just believing. Do you even believe who I am? Do you even know who you're talking to? Because they were teaching in the synagogues, works, 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 works. And I'm seeing that right now, uh, discernment is being so lost. And there's there's really this, this huge effort almost to, um, to create a doctrine and a theology around why people's lives don't make sense and why they're not seeing what, others say they should see and it's it's like it's pulling on a thread on, on a sleeve that's loose and, and the more you pull on the thread now it's just completely unraveling and now you've got to twist this verse to make sense and now you've got to say well that's not really what happened before you know it you know you're you're getting into the the fundamentals of well maybe jesus didn't even rise from the dead you know what i mean like it gets it gets crazy and nutty out there and that's what be, be very careful your faith is very precious when you decide to believe in Jesus and believe for, for all of it, and, and I've said this so many times to even people that would, would perhaps say that I don't believe in, in the real Jesus, I just say, look, I, I just believe all of the Bible. I just believe every part of it. I believe the parts I understand and the parts I don't understand. I believe Jesus is God and everything in his word is true. Everything he has spoken, everything I see, I just believe it. And the Lord will unpack what I need to understand, but I'm going to start with a place of belief. And for some reason, what's very, very interesting is even words like that with people that need to not... to, to stand in what they're not willing to believe will say, well, you think that's what you believe, but you don't actually believe that. And... Um, I learned from a lady many, many years ago um, that taught in a Bible study, and she, her mantra was never argue with a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Never argue with – there's nowhere to go with that. You've just got to stand where you stood. I mean, for people – and Jesus said it himself. He said, you teach, you know the scriptures. That's all you do is teach the scriptures, and you don't know who I am? That's really how how plain it is. So we just, and and this isn't to, um, you know, to to bash different people. This is just to bring out the point of faith. Decide today where you're going to stand and err on the side of believing God. um, Because he's the one, he is the one that will keep you from deception. If your heart is truly for him, you're in much greater danger of being deceived if you're striving to not be deceived within your own flesh. That's where it's dangerous. Because as soon as I lean on my own understanding, it's going to go bonkerville because I have a finite mind that is in desperate need of the Holy Spirit guiding me. So um, so I hope you'll heed, um, especially the scriptures in Ephesians that he gave me. It's so interesting. I said the same thing to the ladies this morning. That's, that's where I've been in those three books, plus 12 other books in the Word of God, because it's just fun to be in, in the Word, but... Um, but Ephesians really is, a, is an amazing um, place, and it will tell you who you are in Christ. And So let's pray, and, um, and I'm just going to just ask the Lord to continue to drive this word home. Father, I just praise you. I just love you, God. I thank you, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, for who you are. Absolutely. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you as the word became flesh, came to this earth, limited yourself to become a man like as we are, yet still being God, you limited yourself to become a man, to, to walk a path so that we could see what, was, what is possible in relationship and dependency on the Father, that we could even see how these beautiful gifts of the Spirit can manifest through us by the Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. You showed us the way. You are the way. You are the truth. And you are very life itself within us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the word this morning. God, only you, only you can open eyes that are willing to humble ourselves and surrender to you. And say yes, yes to you. Not my will, but yours be done. And so, God, I just pray that each one of us would just determine, no matter what is said, no matter what is thought by those around us, whether it be loved ones or just ones we interact with, God, that we would be resolute in knowing that you know our hearts. And God, I just pray that you would prove your word, even even to those struggling with doubts, with fears. With a desperation to to reconcile what in the world is going on in the world who are who are running out of their plans a, B, C, D, and E, trying to cope in the midst of this chaos and this turmoil and the the endless um, suggestions of of this warfare the psychological warfare of demon lies all around us coming from all sources of media, God people that are walking around in just a, a days of, of unrest, no peace, even believers, God, who are wrestling with suicidal thoughts and oppression and anxiety and fear on every side. Father, I pray that you would just, just reveal yourself as only you can to open their eyes to see that you are the peace, you are the hope, you are the joy, you are the answer, but not without faith. And so, God, we just... We just give you our yes today. We just give you our trust. And I thank you. I thank you, God, that when we seek you, we will find you. Thank you, God, that you always, always will confirm with your peace, your love, and in your word what you say. And Lord, I, I just I just ask that you would not let this word this morning return void on any of the listeners. God, but that but that we would decide to give you, by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that three-pronged cultivating tool that, that it would loosen the soil of our hearts yes, Lord. so that the seed of the Word would go down so deep, yes. even, I dare say, 600 feet deep, to bring forth a harvest of truth, of power, and of faith in you. For that will be the only thing that will get us through the coming days. That that with the darkness as our backdrop, Lord, that equalizing rise of your spirit within us will be the light that will allow us to walk through these coming days, Lord. When your holy justice is poured out. God, we just love you. We need you, God. Lord, let us be the light to this fallen world that needs to see the truth of who you are. That you are mighty. That you are a God of miracles. I just pray, Lord, that you would do that and we just are excited. We're expectant. We're waiting. And it's here. And I praise you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord.